Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, plot twisters. Welcome to another cracking, page-turning, food for the soul and brain episode of Tech Talk. Herein lies a chapter after chapter of mental nourishment, so find your comfy space, pour a warm cup of something special and settle in for a sizable dose of what's good for you. And here he is, with 99% more fact than fiction, it's our storyteller extraordinaire, it's Matthew Dickerson. How are you, Matt? Well, I've got sore legs because I ran in the city to surf on the weekend, which is a 14-kilometre That's a decent effort. Run. Well, I always worry about the fun run concept. <laughs> I don't know that it's really fun. But anyway, it's a good challenge. I've but, seen the photos. You weren't laughing. No, I wasn't laughing at the photos. But that was the impressive part, I think, or scary part. The After the event, you received an email saying, congratulations, you've done this. That's all wonderful. Would you like to see some photos? And you think, oh, that'd be nice. I wonder how they identify. Yeah, Maybe a photo look- of you at the starting line. Someone you don't remember seeing someone with a camera, did you? Well, there were cameras all over the place, yeah, of right. course. Lots of people out there with cameras. And I thought maybe they'll track it with the number on your jersey, on your shirt there, because yeah. that makes it pretty simple, surely. But it then said, take a photo of yourself, upload that, and we'll look through the photos. Oh, so I didn't even ask you for the number. Didn't ask for the number, just a photo. And I thought, well... I'm not going to look quite the same today. I'm sitting here relaxed oh, after the event. worrying me already. <laughs> Surely <laughs> I should put a, a grimace on my face when I take the photo. But no, I'll just take a photo. I'll be sitting here nice Don't and relaxed. Run around the block 40 <laughs> times and get a really red face. and <laughs> Nothing like that at all. And I took that photo, sent it, and within seconds I received a link to say, here are some photos of you. 38 photos of me. What? And when I looked through those photos, there were photos from above, from side on, a group of people of maybe 40 people, and there I was. Some photos I thought, ah, oh, they've stuffed up that. Oh, no, so, there I am oh, in the corner. So it's not like you were front and centre for each one. You might no. have been in the background or... And my number couldn't be seen, so it wasn't if they matched my face with the number oh, and then just used wow. that. wow. And it was pretty imp- and incredible. And how many runners, 80,000 or so? Close enough to. And my kids did as well, my wife, and they all did the same thing. There were 38 of me. One of my kids had 60 photos of her. But in all of those, there was not a single photo that we weren't in. Maybe the other ones they thought, <laughs> maybe they're in that, we won't give them that. So everyone... Definitely. There was some where I was a bit too close to the camera, out of focus, but still it picked up. I think the one or a couple of ones that impressed me the most were the side-on shots. I took a photo to upload of me front on. Oh, and it put you in a profile and it picked you. It had some profile shots of me and I just (laughs) looked at that and went, how did they do that? So the AI and the technology in facial recognition is quite incredible. Now, even with... The kids, so we've got four kids, they ran in it, and my wife, and I thought maybe the facial bone structure, maybe we look similar enough that maybe it'll mix up, especially I've got three children that are females, and maybe my wife, maybe it'll mix up some of those female faces, but no, it didn't. No. It picked them all spot on. Oh, and wow. my son can unlock my wife's phone. So his facial structure is 
close enough to my wife that his face will unlock a phone. So I thought maybe it'll mix but those up. But not close enough to fool this camera. No, no. So I was... AI, shall I say. Yeah, right, yeah. okay. So, so no more hiding in a crowd is what you're telling me? <laughs> no. Royal Easter show, I can't commit any crimes and just run away? Now I know why some people went dressed up as Superman, Spider-Man, etc., with a mask over their yeah, face. Right. But I think this was so impressive it might have even picked up that bone structure <laughs> and picked up those. So it was a well-organised event just for a start. Up aura. Well, maybe it was just the aura, but but I just looked at that and went, that's impressive and scary and incredible all at the same time. So if you think you can hide in a crowd, then give up now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's enough for our preface today. It's time to dig into Chapter 1. For anyone on the land, containing livestock is not without its frustrations. Fences are fantastic while they're intact but a mongrel to maintain sometimes. A fence in disrepair is a ticket to freedom for the entire herd. So, virtual fences are starting to become a bit of a thing in Australia. Far from a new technology, smart collar systems have been adapted for the dairy industry in Tassie. Now to muster uh, and monitor your cattle. But they're not for everyone, Matt. They don't seem to be for everyone. Now, we did do a story some months ago about some virtual fencing in WA. Mm. And in WA, you've got some farms that are large, to say (laughs) that's right, and building a fence around that. I've done some fencing when I was a kid, helping out in a vertical with some friend. I think I was just slave labour for a few weeks. (laughs) But fencing is not a lot of fun. And when you've got big fences like you've got some of the farms in WA, that sounds like not a lot of fun. And not only, I mean, that's putting in the fence for the first time, then that fence needs to be maintained as well. It's not much good if there's just one little hole in it somewhere because the cattle will find that. Now, that was a little bit different. That was just containing them. This goes a step further where if you're a dairy farmer, you're going to be up early in the morning. And some you've got dairy to bring farmers, them all in that's every right. morning. And you can't say, you know what, I'm going to sleep in today. I'm going to go and run the city to surf today. The cattle <laughs> will be okay. The cows will be okay because they need to be milked every there day. There are no holidays for dairy farmers. There are none. And I, I know some dairy farmers often talk about three o'clock in the mornings when they get up to start bringing oh, the cows in. Wow. So that's a tough gig every single day. But if you could have some way magically of bringing those cows in and having them there ready to be milked, then that sounds like I can sleep in for another couple of hours. Mm. And that's exactly what's happening in Tasmania at the moment. But it's already been happening for some time in New Zealand. And I don't want to say it too loudly, but I'm often impressed by the ingenuity and innovative products and processes that New Zealanders come up with. They're often ahead of the curve with some things. There's 100,000 cows in New Zealand that have some of these smart collars. Now, these smart collars, which is where we get a bit of controversy, they provide sound and vibration cues to direct the cattle into where they need to go. So better than just you're about to cross a virtual fence, okay, it's now time to be directed into the the yards to be milked. And, and some people have got dog collars like this as well, yeah, mm. um, to keep their dogs in, uh, well, contained dogs as That's well. That's right. Yeah. Now, that seems okay, a bit of sound, a bit of vibration. Well, what's the problem there? But the way they learn definitely that they should take notice of the sound and the vibration is if they go too far they get a little zap. And that's where organisations like the RSPCA says, we don't really like the idea of those little electric zaps. I'm sure they don't like electric fences as well, but electric fences are much more severe on mm, a cow than sure. a, a 
collar, an electric shock on the collar. But again, I can imagine that doesn't feel that pleasant. But having said that, if I was a cow having a nice little slumber at three o'clock in the morning and a cattle dog came nipping at my heels, I don't think that sounds that pleasant either. I'm not trying to trivialise this whole electric shock, but that's, I suppose, where we're at. There's a way of directing these cattle. And I'm sure they probably don't need too many electric shocks before they finally say, I've learned that if I don't listen to that sound or take notice of that vibration, there's something unpleasant coming next. I'm going to go and take notice of that vibration or that sound. Yeah, I'll give you that. Cows uh, probably will learn reasonably quickly. Sheep, though, I think probably wouldn't. Mm. Anyway, we're not doing this for sheep. This is just for cat, uh, just dairy for, cattle this for, dairy this, cattle for the time being. So yeah. there's one Tasmanian farmer that's got 1,300 dairy cows. He's been using that for some time, and he's finding it absolutely fantastic. He's feeling much healthier in himself because he can sleep in a bit more. <laughs> but the interesting part is that these products are banned in New South Wales, Victoria, the ACT and South Australia. That's under various Animal Welfare Acts. So we're not going to see them in some of those states straight away. Interesting in the same country that we're happy to see them in Tasmania, but not some other states and happy to see them across New Zealand. So it's interesting. There's been a bit of work being going for this type of technology for some time. Back in the 80s, there was some work being done. Back in the 2000s, early 2000s, CSIRO was trying to do some work on this. But We've progressed. There's a few things we've got now that are much better. We've got GPS tracking much better, smaller technology, and also much more accurate. So that's the first thing that's good. Mm. Our battery life has gotten much better as well. And, of course, you've got smartphones. So you can mm. actually look where all your cattle are. You could actually say, oh, where are all my cows? Oh, look at that. They're all there. Even if you didn't want to give them electric shocks, you could know exactly where to go to bring those cows in if you felt like not using electric shocks. So we've progressed with some of those. So back in the 80s and the 2000s, I don't think you could have done it in the same way that we've done it now. You've also got the ability with solar panels on these collars to keep batteries charged up. These aren't exclusively solar, but the solar keeps it topped up a little bit so you're not having to charge it as often. So a whole range of advantages we've got now, a whole range of technologies that have progressed that allow this to happen. It's just whether or not you'll get organisations like the RSPCA to say we're actually comfortable with the limited times they might be shocked before they learn from the overall experience. Look, I, there's a couple of reasons why I'm not a dairy farmer, um, <laughs> but one of them is the three o'clock starts. I reckon if you could hit the snooze button on your alarm, and part of that is just bring the cows in as well, I yeah. reckon that'd be a real draw card. That's right. Well, you're right. So I, I, I was wondering why you weren't a dairy farmer but now I know it's it was the a distinct start. lack of cows to start off with. <laughs> but um, yeah, three o'clock starts aren't good for me. And there's a bit of opportunity there for technology companies as well. So, for example, one of these companies charges $8.50 per month per cow. And that sounds like a reasonable income you could generate from this technology. But again, if I was a dairy farmer, to sleep in, I think it'd be worth the $8.50 yeah. per cow per month. <laughs> it's got to be more efficient overall. Surely that's got to be a big part of it. For sure. Computer gaming was once upon a time considered almost exclusively a thing for adolescent boys. But those boys have now grown up, of course, and are now in their 50s and 60s, and they're still gaming. Times have changed, and so has the demographic for marketing computer games, as it would appear the market for video and computer games has swollen in 2023 to include pretty much everybody old enough to operate a device. Matt, what are the current stats on people who regularly play video games? I love this image that we have of Aussies, that we're all bronze, buff. Outdoor sorts. That's right. Surfies, maybe. (laughs) We've got 10,000 beaches or more, so surely across the world. Life be in it. That's that's it. Surely across the world, everyone thinks, those Aussies, they're so lucky. They're all bronzed and buffed, and they're out on the beaches. 
But when you read the latest data from the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, the IGEA, they've published the latest results. And they published these the results. The survey says. Yeah, that's right. Well, the survey says we're not a bunch of bronze dozies. <laughs> what we are is a bunch of gamers. They only surveyed 1,219 households, so it's probably not enough to give us a comprehensive view, but that's about the same number they use, and, and it's Bond University that have done this, so surely it's got some scientific basis for it all, and that's been a similar survey they've been doing every two years since 2005. Now, you've got COVID-19 that you need to throw in there, so gaming probably went up during that, but mm. we've come out of the back of that now, so yeah. surely it's settled down a bit, but... 81% of Aussies now play video games on a regular basis. 81%. Yeah, okay. That's a big number, isn't it? 94% of households have at least one gaming device in the household. That's yeah. a big number as well. Well, as I mentioned, like, um, yeah, and I'm a child of the 80s, well, born in the 70s, but, um, yeah, I've evolved with computer games, so yeah. it's I've grown up with them, right? Yep. So... I guess the the numbers of people who haven't grown up with them are very, very few now. Getting less and less, that's right. So the 81% of Aussies now playing, the last time they did the survey, which was 2021, which you're probably getting a bit of the impact of COVID-19 then, that was 67% in 2021. So 81% now, that's a fairly big jump over that time frame. Mm. So I think people have got the idea that, well, playing a game is a good form of entertainment. Back in 2019, say, for example, many people probably watched TV, whereas now a lot of yeah. those people have changed their streaming into to oh, gaming. And don't forget the, the gaming designers as well. Um, they're they're well, well and truly versed on how to lure someone in and yeah. then keep them there too. So when you see, say that 94% of households have at least one gaming device, well, you start to go to more than one, 51% have more than three devices, 7% have more than six devices. Wow, six devices. That's well, getting that serious, isn't got- it? All the platforms That's covered right. then, quite and, clearly. And multiple versions of, I think. So it's not just the latest version of those ones there. Oh, the other thing I found interesting, and this probably goes to your point about the child of the 80s, the average age of a video gamer is not a 16-year-old in a darkened no. room eating popcorn and drinking soft drinks. Although he's there right now, I, I can tell you, I can vouch that there's at least one in the country <laughs> who's doing that right now. Being one of your children, obviously. <laughs> so the average age of a gamer is 35. Yeah, yeah. That makes, that, that's no surprise to me. Yep. Now, the average age of a gamer in 2005 when this survey started was 24. So that goes to your point that yeah. we've grown up yeah. with games and games have grown up. And the most common location for you to play games is not in the basement, tucked away in the bedroom. It's 34% in the lounge rooms. That's the number yeah. one. Yeah. So, uh, And again, you think it might be the middle of the night. 41% of gamers said they play at night, but 62% said they play during the evening. So that's interesting. And the other one that I thought was quite interesting is I thought that first-person shooter-style games would be at the top of the list, things like Call of Duty, you know, regularly rated yeah. as the most popular game. But the puzzle genre is the most popular type of game played at 36%. Action adventures stop there at 32%. Yeah, I've got to say, I'm not playing a lot of video games, but the games I tend to play now are just puzzles. Yeah, yeah, interesting ones where you can solve problems. I mean, I used to love Lemmings a long time ago. I just love the, <laughs> the puzzle-solving aspect of Lemmings. So it was a, it was a great game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Females have, have gone up a lot, 48% of all... <laughs> 
Okay. Just rekindled some memories there. <laughs> the old lemmings. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid idiots, I'd why are you falling off that, that cliff? <laughs> uh, but 48% of all gamers are females, so that's gone up by 2% since the last survey. And when you go to the 65 plus age category, 76% of females play games in that category compared to 61% of males. Yeah, so when right. you get to that age, and I, I probably do support this when I go to some aged care homes and, and do some volunteering there, there are a lot of the ladies there, some of the old ladies there, that have got some sort of gaming console yeah, that they're yeah, playing. there's a bit of therapy there. Um, it, it keeps the cogs ticking upstairs too. And some of the men, I don't want to stereotype them all here, but some of the men go, oh, I don't know how to play that, and they probably haven't grown up with it and don't want to learn new things. There's so, another stigma attached to it. Mm, maybe. So it's interesting. We're a bunch of gamers, a whole range of different stats. That report is fascinating reading go and look it up igea it's a multi-page report i've picked the highlights out of it but there's some fascinating <laughs> look i've got to share there. with you a couple of years ago for father's day um my wife and children bought me an atari um uh, and it was like uh <laughs> it was an upscale version of the atari but yep. it's still retro completely retro and rather than having the cartridges that you had to load in yep. um, still had the same old joysticks the the retro joysticks and all that sort of stuff um but all the games all the atari games were all loaded onto the console in a hard drive there um, and I just started making my way through some of these old games and realised, geez, we settled for some fairly <laughs> average sort of games. <laughs> it was all about the artwork on the cover, I guess, probably more about the more than the playability. That's but, right, uh, and the graphics were pretty ordinary, were The graphics they? were terrible. Especially when you put them on a lovely 4K TV, 85-inch <laughs> in your lounge room, and then you look at it and you go, what? Look, thing I Space like Invaders is good in comparison to a lot of the other games they had, yeah? Well, what I like about those is they're the only games I can beat my kids on, <laughs> and, and they don't want to waste the time getting good at it because they go this is such a boring game is that all you can <laughs> yeah. do well yeah and you just keep going yeah. there's no there's no finish to it i go to there's another no, level and another no level. story it's just yeah go to it just gets faster yeah. um uh, but we used to like i remember getting super excited about going to play pong at my mate's place yeah right because uh, he had this system that you could plug into your television and you could like control these little paddles that knock this little black or oh, little white dot or whatever yep. around the screen and um you had and, some rich mates having pong yeah and that was <laughs> Exciting times. <laughs> Have you tapped into the Cameo app yet? I know people who've had a special or had special messages from celebrities for their birthday or for weddings, thanks to Cameo. It's a really cool touch to have Brian Cox deliver a personalised video message or, or maybe Kerry O'Keefe to deliver a funny cricket an anecdote from the heyday of cricket just for you. It does wonders for the ego when a celeb talks to you like an old mate. It's a very versatile app, and not just for milestones like birthdays and weddings. People are leaning right into a cameo for all sorts of reasons now. And Matt, it seems that even bad news is more easily received when it comes from a celeb. I'm not sure that this was the idea. I think it was more it like It probably you say. wasn't what it was intended for. It no. just came for birthdays and weddings and anniversaries and stuff. But people will come up with all sorts of uses of the same product. <laughs> and I do love the concept. I mean, it was launched back in 2017, but it really took off during the pandemic because you had a lot of actors that couldn't work, a lot yeah. of stand-up comedians, that type of thing, where they couldn't get any other work, so they turned to Cameo. And the prices, I mean, some of these people who maybe aren't as famous, 
might charge you a dollar to have a pre-recorded message, which is probably not bad for them. 30 seconds work, a dollar, that's okay. Yeah. Some charge a couple of thousand dollars. You're probably not going to get the really big names. Tom Cruise probably isn't going to lower himself to Cameo. If he did, it would be a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. But there's lots of ones there. I've seen Kenny G, Brian Cox, Sean Spicer, some of these names that are that are well-known, but maybe not the most famous in the world. But yeah, again, birthdays, that sort of things. But now you're getting to the stage where Cameo released some stats recently, and they said they've had... 5,000 requests with the word divorce in them. Oh. I just started to imagine that. So <laughs> yeah. you're going to divorce your partner. Presumably you've had a reasonable relationship up to a point of time when that's now broken yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to sit down and have that conversation with your partner saying we're getting divorced, but hey, here's Brian Cox. This to is give a throwback you a <laughs> to primary school when you'd send your mate over to your girlfriend's house <laughs> and they'd knock on the door and say, you're dropped from James. <laughs> And that's it, and I then storm off. But that's exactly it. <laughs> so you can do that with Cameo now, but you can get Brian Cox to do your dirty work for you. And it might be one of those things where you pick someone that your partner is a great fan of. So, oh, look at this. I've got a message from someone who I'm really excited to hear <laughs> oh, from. No. And by the way, I'm giving you the news you're divorced. So then you've got mixed emotions. You go, I'm not really happy about the divorce message, but gee, I got it from. Yeah, wow, that's not so bad. <laughs> uh, the other one that they had 5,500 requests was apology or I'm sorry. So again, how can you be angry at your mm. partner, for example, when I'm sorry delivered from someone that you are a big fan of? Yeah, look, while I'm listening to the message, I think that's that's lovely. Oh, that's awesome. And then I'd remember, oh, she didn't give that me the message yourself. Um, no. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's go back bad. to that. Uh, but um, look, not that there's, oh, I can see that coming to me um, any time in the future. <laughs> Hopefully not. Honey. <laughs> <laughs> and another thousand they had with job quitting. And I can see that one. Some people don't want to go and talk to their boss. Maybe they don't want to say exactly why they're quitting because maybe uh-huh. it was about their boss themselves. <laughs> and, and one guy said he spent $30 on a job quit message, so not much. He said, the best $30 I ever spent because I wanted to say some things to my boss that I wasn't prepared to say in person. <laughs> but getting a celebrity to do it, then oh, absolutely right. Wow. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> so it's actually quite interesting about what they're doing. And I can see stand-up comedians having a, a huge amount of fun with this. Imagine saying, can you just deliver a message Put your twist on it. And, of course, stand-up comedians, they go all risk or, or no risk, sorry, yeah. all reward from their perspective. They can say whatever they like because they don't have to face up to them. That That's person's right. still going to face up to them. So I, I do like it. So if you want to go and have a search on Cameo, there's another couple there that do something similar. There's one called Trills with a Z rather than an S. Another one called VidSig. So, again, it's just one of those random things. Someone came up with a random idea. And this company was valued at over a billion dollars in 2021. So a yeah. random idea that obviously generated wow. some serious returns for someone out there. Good See luck to the them. need, fill the need. Here's a story from the darkest, dankest, most stench-ridden corner of the internet's fetid cesspit. Combining two things that worry me most deeply, it seems that some of the lowest life scammers have developed an AI app to refine their dirty work further in order to prey on the vulnerable and even the not-so-vulnerable. Cyber attackers no longer need to do any of the heavy lifting, thereby removing any redeeming features for them at all. ChatGPT's evil cousin is out and it's prowling the web. Matt, tell us the bad news. The evil cousin just brings up images, doesn't it, of some superhero movie. And, of course, you've got the evil cousin that might be the the, the black Superman or whatever it might be. So, not Superman, sorry, Spider-Man, the the black-dressed Spider-Man. Thank you. Mm. So, this here is a ChatGPT that's designed specifically to help the bad guys 
trick us all. Now, in the past, it was easy to see that phishing email because the spelling was wrong or the mm. grammar was terrible or the logo looked completely wrong. So you went, oh, I'm not going to get fooled by that. But when you use Worm GPT, which is the evil cousin of ChatGPT. It's interesting they've chosen that. The Worm name. Yeah, <laughs> worm when, you, name. When, when you use Worm GPT, then it gets the spelling right. It gets the grammar right. It gets the formatting right. In fact, what you do with Worm GPT, if you're a bad guy, is you go and take some legitimate emails from legitimate organisations and say, here, replicate this, make it look legitimate, and then send it out. And let's trick a whole bunch of people into their details, their personal details, their bank details, their passwords, whatever it might be that you're trying to get. It'll even take some of the voice, speech, video, some of the conversations and use that to help trick people. It'll manipulate images to make it look just like the real thing. So forget Mm. about someone playing around with some desktop publishing package. You just use AI to do all of this now. Even the ones we've talked about before where people use a similar domain name to try and trick people using homoglyphs as we talked about last week then you've got that but this is doing all the hard work for you You don't have to think about replacing an i with an l to make it look the same worm gpt will do that for you you don't Mm. have to think about it at all hope some of these scammers are getting scammed as well I'd like to think so, and maybe when they go home, they actually have something happen, but maybe they're on the lookout for it. They've all got to pay for electricity bills and things as well, you know, and uh, got to communicate with banks and and whatnot. I assume they're not stuffing money under their pillows. (laughs) Well, maybe they see how much scamming's happening. Maybe they do do that. But romance scams, apparently one of the ones that really is hitting hard because people are probably more vulnerable when they're out there from a romance perspective. If you just get a random email that says, oh, your Facebook password needs to be reset. Most people go, I wasn't looking for that, so yeah. I'm probably aware of that one. But when it's a romance scam, when you happen to be on some sort of romance app and then you get some messages from it, you, you're looking for that. So you're probably looking for the positives in people. You're probably not looking yeah. at for a scam, and so you probably look away from those red flags that you might see. The biggest problem, I think, is that some of our safety policies, some of our legislation lags behind the technology and I think cybersecurity experts often talk about the fact that they're trying to tell people about these things and people aren't necessarily looking or listening until mm. something happens to them and then they go, oh, we better do something about it. Why didn't someone do more about this? Mm. And I think the same from a legislator's point of view. They're waiting until lots of their constituents are hit with this. It becomes a voting issue. Then they try and address it. But it's all too late. And the scammers are five steps ahead, unfortunately, yeah. and using tools like Worm GPT. So, yeah, a lot of vigilance is needed, I think, to prevent the internet from turning to the Wild West, which I think maybe it is already. Well, on to some better news on that front. Telcos have been busy stepping in as a first line of defence against phone scams and a new report has released that over a billion ill-intended calls and texts from miscreants were blocked in the last financial year alone. Matt, chalk one up for the good guys at last. Miscreants, gee, I, I think you just offended a lot of scammers out there. Some of them think they're legitimate <laughs> business people, James. Miscreants, how insulting to them. I uh, don't think any of them think that they're legitimate business people and they all know that they're scum-sucking low lives. Well, I hope so, I hope so. So you're right, over a billion scams were blocked by service providers. In the last quarter alone, so this is a financial year uh, analysis or report, in the last quarter... 256 million calls and 85 million text messages were blocked. So that's sounding 
good, I think, and this is where I'm... So if you feel like you've been dealing with a lot, just think about all the ones that were caught before they got to you. Correct. Now, here's the thing that I'm not sure about, and the report doesn't know the answer to this either. A 33% increase in the last financial year compared to the previous financial year. Now, was that increase because they're getting better at picking up some of the scams, or... Was that increase because there's a lot more out there's there? There's a lot more, yeah. Now, they're trying to improve the technology all the time. You'd like to think that it's getting better at picking up some of these scams, but it may be just such an increase in volume that they're naturally picking them up. So who knows what the story is there. So what you're telling me is if you are a miscreant who suddenly gets a uh, conscience, perhaps you go and visit the telcos and say, look, I've been doing this. I've got some ideas about how you could stop it. That'd be fantastic. And then you can redeem yourself. Yeah, maybe. Maybe getting some of those scammers in there to give all the tricks that they try and use to get past, and that would be a fantastic idea. You could have a clean conscience after 10 years of doing that or so. <laughs> 10 years at least. At least, that's right. Now, we have reported losses, and we've talked about this before, the number's got to be much higher. The reported losses in the calendar year 2022 in Australia, $3.1 billion mm. in scam losses. Who knows big, what the figure is. is if you took into account all the unreported, but of course, yeah. we always say we don't know those because they're unreported. That's an 80% increase over the previous year. Yeah. So even though we've got all these people listening to Tech Talk, being aware of all these things, people are still getting... Is sucked in the wrong expression. I just, I feel like they're not really being sucked in. They're they're so clever these scammers yeah, about right. how they do it, it. It's it's conning at its most refined, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Now there is a scam SMS industries code that's being prov- uh, produced and refined to try and identify, trace, and block suspected SMS scams. And also, we're getting to the stage. It's not there at the moment, but the government's providing funding for. SMS sender ID registry to try and combat spoof tests. So, for example, linked LINKT or MyGov or Australia Post, some of those ones where you see it come up from an organisation, there's some funding that's being provided by the government to try and stop those so that there's got to be a process when you get a legitimate text from linked, then it will actually show that, yes, it's legitimate and someone that tries to scam that or spoof that won't be allowed. That's not in place yet. They're right. trying to get to the stage where you'll get to the stage where you can't spoof those brands, but it's not quite there yet. So we're progressing. The government's trying to do it, but as we keep talking about, some of these scammers are a few steps ahead. Yeah, you build a bigger mousetrap and Mother Nature will build a bigger mouse. <laughs> exactly right. The dilemma for commercial air travel industry in seeking uh, to minimise the relevance Sorry, I'll start again with that. To minimise its reliance on fossil fuels is that battery-powered flight is still very tricky things to master. Nearly six months ago, we reported on the potential hydrogen fuel cells uh, in air travel, but the future seemed far from certain. Well, the good news is that six months is a long time in engineering, apparently, and hydrogen-powered flight is a couple of steps close to becoming a real thing, Matt. COVID-19 obviously was terrible for many people around the world. People died. I don't want to trivialise COVID-19. But one thing it did do was reduce the amount of air travel and therefore reduce the amount of pollution from air travel. Mm. We're getting back up there almost to pre-COVID levels of air travel. But you're talking about the production of CO2 carbon emissions. And it's at at around now 800 million tonnes of carbon emissions are produced by the airline industry Mm. at the moment. They're talking about that being on track for a thousand million or a billion, if you like, 
tonnes of carbon emissions by the year 2030 unless we do something about it. Now, we don't want another pandemic to come along to reduce that. We want some other ways. We've talked about electric planes, and that's going to be a solution, I think, for short-haul flights. But it's not a great solution for longer haul because you just have this weight of batteries there. Mm. But hydrogen certainly is a fuel that's obviously being able to produce clean of CO2 if you have green hydrogen produced. And it's something that you can refuel quickly. So there's lots of advantages for hydrogen. But it hasn't got a lot of energy density unless you produce it or store it as liquid hydrogen. Then you've got pressure. You've got containers that have got to be very solid to contain that. You put that up in the air when you've got lower air pressures. There's a whole range of issues there. But they're persevering nonetheless. And there's one company, Universal Hydrogen. They've got a Dash 8, and many people are familiar with Dash 8. Qantas Link flies Dash 8, for example. So Pretty many common people, plane. Yeah, common plane. They've retrofitted a Dash 8. So this is a 40-passenger version. There's a few different Dash 8s. It's a 200, 300, 400 example. But they've retrofitted one where they're now doing flights, and they've done a number of them at 10,000 feet. So not the height they normally fly, but they're getting there. They're flying at speeds of about 170 knots. Again, not the same speed you'd normally fly at, but they're getting there with their testing. So that's a good sign. So mm. You go, well, fantastic. Not going to be used for commercial air travel yet. But one of the great things about using a plane, a common plane like a Dash 8, is you've already got the airframe itself already with approvals in place. So you're not trying to get approvals for a whole new plane, mm. just the propulsion method. There's another company called Zero Avia. Now, they've got a Dornier 228. I'm not familiar with that plane. I haven't been on one of those. But they've also been flying. They've done a number of test flights at 5,000 feet at 150 knots. So again, getting there slowly but surely. And even if you're talking about e-kerosene, which we've done a little bit of a story before on e-kerosene, when you talk about hydrogen, for example, you'll still produce one-third less CO2 out of hydrogen than you will out of e-kerosene. So e-kerosene, some people are saying, well, that's the solution. Leave everything else the same and have some form of e-kerosene, which is better for the environment than normal kerosene. But mm. it's still it's producing still a fair kerosene, bit. Yeah. yeah, it's still kerosene. So I think we're going to see... Uh, actually, it's interesting. If I had to make a prediction, I think we'll still see short-haul flights. I'm talking about flights of an hour, an hour and a half, electric planes. When you start to get flights a bit longer than that, I think we'll see hydrogen. It's a long way before we'll see Sydney to LA on something mm. other than kerosene. I think that's still a real challenge, but there's a lot of short-haul flights. There are still a lot of short-haul flights. There. If you can change those, that billion tonnes of carbon emissions by 2030, I think that's the real challenge for airlines to get that figure down dramatically. And you could own your own private jet without having to have the guilty conscience. Do they have a guilty conscience, the people who got a private jet? I'm not convinced. (laughs) The first superconductor was discovered way back in 1911. And for the past 110 or so years, their application has been severely limited by the need to keep these things super cold with liquid nitrogen at the very least. This means that any application of superconductors becomes super expensive And to date, there have been very few permanent uses for them. Japanese maglev trains use superconductors in their electromagnets. There's no electrical resistance, so there's no power loss to heat, and their efficiency is improved to 100%. But the need to keep them at negative 196 degrees Celsius may finally be a thing of the past if claims coming out of South Korea are anything to crow about, Matt. Now, I just want to ask a quick question. I noticed there, you mentioned liquid nitrogen. 
Yeah. Are some of them using liquid helium as well? Well, liquid helium is even colder, yeah. and so therefore it's even more expensive, yep. uh, but it's lighter. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I thought that colder temperature, because obviously you, you find that superconductors, when you approach absolute zero, negative 273.15 degrees Celsius, when you approach that, yeah. that's when superconductors seem to be getting better and better. That's right. But I thought some of them were using liquid helium as well. Yeah, so liquid, liquid helium, I think, is, uh, is it about 4K? Um, whereas... Um, liquid nitrogen negative one hundred ninety six is about eighty k. Yeah. Um, k a- for kilo. Kelvin, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, I just uh, I don't know. Well, I know that there are some places, and it might be those Japanese maglev trains are actually using liquid helium. Yeah, and maybe because it's light. Yep. Um, and um, yeah, it's all sort of contained. Yep. So that heat isn't able to escape very easily, or escape in to to warm it up. However, it does lose its cooling properties if you don't replace it. That's right. And, of course, the, the big issue here is that if you want a superconductor and you go, well, let's go down to some of those temperatures, we're talking about very cold temperatures, you've got to use energy mm. to get the temperatures and keep them there. And, of course, you can do it with high pressure as well, but you've got to, again, have something that produces the high pressure, so you're wasting power on that. Yeah. And then minus thing, I mean, you said no resistance there, but minus thing of a superconductor is, I would say, Minimal, no. Oh, no. negligible. Sorry. Negligible. So yep. we're talking about naught point naught 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 naught. Give me a string of noughts yep. and then a one. Uh, yeah. So Homes of resistance. Yeah. So yeah. there will be some heat loss, but it's so negligible, it yep. becomes insignificant. And so, yeah, it becomes a revolution for uh, you know long distance power transmission or any sort of um, circuits that you want to create. And think if, of if think we of can that. Make it at think room temperature. Long distance power transmission. I've seen figures anywhere from 10% to maybe even up to 15% of the power we produce is lost in transmission. Yeah. Now, you have extremely high voltages to try and reduce that loss. So that's because you drop the current. When you get a high voltage, you get less current, and yep. so you get less resistance. However, if you could uh, allow for lower voltages... yeah. Um, so P, P equals IV, so yeah. obviously if you increase that to keep the sound power, you increase the voltage, reduce the, physics the current. Class, you're getting all this down? Yeah, sorry. I'm just <laughs> talking about sure my physics class there. That's yeah. right, this would be all <laughs> off the top of their heads, wouldn't it? But yeah, so P equals IV, and that's why you, you have these 550 kilovolt lines, for example. But again, you're still, even with that, they're the figures that I've, and I don't have that data in front of me here, but off the top of my head, I've seen anywhere from 10 to 15%. Mm. So imagine if you could use superconductors on those transmission lines, yeah. and then if you took your 10 to 15% down to, as you say, point lots of zeros, 1% of transmission lots, that, that's 10% or 15% less power you had to produce in the first place to get it out to the grid. Yeah. So that's all fantastic at very cold temperatures or very high pressures, but the holy grail is the superconductor at room temperature. Yeah. Having a superconductor when you've just got it out on transmission lines, out in the paddocks, and you go, hey, look at that, we've got a superconductor there, and we'd have to keep it extremely cold. And uh, look, I heard the Germans did this a couple of years ago, but it was like for a thousandth of a second. It was, it was completely impractical. What have the um, Koreans done? Yeah, so the Koreans, this is in South Korea, they said they've got a product called LK99, not sure why they've come up with that name, but they're claiming this to be a room temperature superconductor. Now, they've uploaded some papers, they've shown a video of it in operation. This is all incredibly exciting for the scientific community and would have mm. huge implications. So, you talk about maglev, you're talking about fast trains, you're talking about transmission of power, you talk about Computers, well, quantum yeah. computers. You have you ever had your laptop sort of getting over a bit hot on your lap there? Yeah. Um, we're talking about lo- keeping all that energy just for the 
for driving the computer and losing nothing as heat. That's right. We lose so much as heat. You just go and put your hand over a light bulb. I mean, most LED now, but over yeah, a, yeah. an incandescent light bulb, there's a lot of heat produced there. So yeah. get rid of the heat out of the equation and suddenly you've got this whole... Well, an incandescent light bulb's not going to work because it actually needs... Anyway, let's move it, on. It needs the heat, so... <laughs> it you're, needs you're that right. resistance. But, but, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah let's move sorry, on. Sorry, good point. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you, you, do, you are losing heat in just normal transmission yeah, yeah, power. Yeah, yeah, in, in any sort of um, circuits through your house as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So now the claims are being made by some researchers, but it hasn't actually been tested and proven yet. They've done the uploads, they've shown it off. stopping me from getting excited, Matt. Well, that's right. And even if this isn't it, even if this isn't the solution, we're getting steps closer. Yeah. And even if it wasn't a superconductor and it just had incredibly low resistance, then that sounds like a good thing as well. If anyone nails this, it's basically write the check for whatever you want to be worth in five minutes' time because someone would pay a lot of money. And imagine the factory that was going to produce this for all of those transmission lines, all of those copper and aluminium cables that are out there in some new superconductor. It would be quite incredible. But keep your eye out there. I'm not convinced it's definitely out there and happening. Just I've, I've read a bit of scepticism yeah, by a few other okay. scientists at the moment. I'm not seeing the whole scientific so community. Me, is this like the perpetual emotion machines as well? <laughs> no, I hope not. I, superconductors are possible. We know they're possible, unlike the perpetual motion machine. So <laughs> hopefully it's not quite like that. But I'm just not excited yet. I'm not as excited as you at this stage because I want to see some other physicists saying this is okay, and I don't want to see them on Cameo saying it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see Brian Cox on Cameo saying, the new superconductor from South Korea, okay, 99 is fantastic. I want to see some other scientific Well, there are papers. physicists who are going to find it very hard to contain their excitement if it does end up being legit. Yeah, and, and exactly right. This is the holy grail, isn't it, in terms of physics at the moment. It's one of the things we know is possible. Well, this one and our next story too, so stay tuned for that. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, keep an eye on that one. It's, Look, it's that's happening. what the South Koreans are up to with their superconductors. What are the North Koreans doing with their superconductors? Yeah, they can't tell us. <laughs> <laughs> and another story to please my physics class... It seems like this generation will see fusion power become a reality as the human species chalks up a second successful net gain from a fusion reaction. It's happening, guys. It's happening. Matt, this is a big deal. And it could be a step towards a solution for a society in the midst of an energy crisis indeed. So just to make sure people understand what we're talking about here, so fission is obviously what most people are familiar with in nuclear reactors, Yeah, for and also fission was, uh, I think, what uh, allowed Oppenheimer to do his magic, if you've seen that movie. That's right, a topical thing at the moment. So fission basically breaks apart atoms, and yep. you get the energy from that. E equals mc squared is an important part of that equation. Fusion, of course, on the other hand, is seen to be much better because you're putting some atoms together, you're combining them. Particularly hydrogen, yeah. Yep, and getting energy out of that process, but you don't get the radioactive waste. It's always seen as much cleaner That's and right. much safer. And there's a little thing called the sun that seems to be okay with fusion. Yeah, that seems to have worked for a The sun does a while. great job with its fusion, and so we, we suck that energy uh, using solar cells and whatnot. Yeah. But uh, if we could do it on Earth, um, we're not going to be losing all that uh, energy that we're creating um, in three dimensions out into space. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So fusion is seen by many people, and some people that talk about the energy crisis and talk about renewables, oh, I don't get renewables, just go and get some fusion reactions happening. Well, there are some people working on it, mm. so it's not like a brand new idea that we someone's We talk about cold fusion. It's still running very hot, but to get fusion to happen, you've got to get these uh, atoms 
at very, very, very hot temperatures. And that's the big secret is if you can get more energy out, because obviously there's no point if you've got to put more energy in yeah, than out. That's right. But they did a test back in December last year and they produced 2.5 megajoules from 2.1 megajoules input. So there's a lot of energy put mm. in, as you say, there's a lot of energy to make it happen. Yeah. And then you want to keep it going. Obviously, like the sun seems That's to be right. able to keep going. The latest test, same amount of input, 2.1 megajoules in to get it actually happening, they got 3.5 megajoules out. The secret, of course, oh. is to keep this continuing on. Yeah. And at the moment, they're still going to pump so much energy in and then get a bit extra out, well, that's fine. But it seems like maybe, and I'm not talking about tomorrow, but it seems like I think within the next decade we'll have some type of commercial fusion reactor that will be viable. That'll be amazing. Yeah, now, I say that decade without a huge amount of research behind it, but it seems like we're getting closer, people are getting closer and closer well, to right. it. That's right. Well, we were talking about the first time in December. We've yeah. now done the second lot. That's right. Yeah. And it's not and it's just better. one organisation. Well, it is one organisation that's been able to do it. This is the US National Ignition Facility has been able to do it, but there are organisations around the world working on it, and each time someone gets there, they'll look at how that happened, and then they'll try a little bit themselves, right. and they'll keep progressing. So this I think is potentially the solution to any energy crisis that we're staring in the face. Yeah, exactly right. And who knows? Maybe we're not that far away from Back to the Future, where you have Mister Fusion, and you <laughs> drop something in Mister Fusion and close the lid, and that's all the energy you need for your car. Flux capacitor. That's right. Why not? Surely that's got to be the logical <laughs> name for it. So it's happening ish, and I think we're progressing down the path which is pretty exciting. Exciting times ahead. This next story is either a message from a higher power or some A-grade digital blasphemy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, introducing to you the next big thing in virtual spirituality, it's Chatbot Jesus. And he's here to answer all your divine questions and maybe crack a joke or two. Matt, Jesus in Chatbot. As a chatbot comedian, I'm thinking uh, this has got some rapid-fire dad jokes coming at us. I think they probably would be dad jokes. I can't see them being bawdy jokes, obviously. <laughs> but if you go onto Twitch and you search for the channel Ask underscore Jesus, you'll get an AI version of Jesus that will answer your spiritual questions, maybe the meaning of life, who knows. Yeah, okay. Tell you some jokes if you want as well. But what I find interesting about this is that there's been a lot of different versions of Jesus over the years that have really changed to fit the current culture. We see Jesus typically in 19th century America, for example, as being very brave and tough. You've seen Jesus as female versions. You've seen Jesus as black versions. Mm -hmm. So now we're seeing Jesus as an AI version. Why not? It makes sense. I'm not sure how they give it different information to answer than maybe chat, or chat GPT might answer, for example. How many different ways can you slant what you might answer? But that's apparently what they're doing on this channel is they're saying we're answering questions as a philosophical deep version of Jesus may answer. And if you're not necessarily a Christian, you might have some other deity as your particular worship tool, then you've still got things like Buddhism. Chatbot, chatbot Buddha? Yep. Well, it's called BuddhaBot is one, <laughs> Buddha one version. That's being developed at Kyoto, Kyoto University. So there's other religions, other spiritual deities that you can actually go and ask questions of as well. Now, I, I must admit... Juju from... Um, why not? The Ameri uh, African cultures? And why, why not? Or I think Don McLean used to talk about a pinky ring, didn't he? So whatever whatever you want out there, there'll be some way of answering it. Someone will have come up with something. Wouldn't mind having a chat with Zeus. <laughs> Chatbot Zeus. Why not? But I, I'm still intrigued and I, I must admit I haven't got 
gone and tested these out. I like to test some of the things we do, but I do wonder how different the answers would be just to chat GPT. I'd like to just go to chat GPT, ask a question, and then go to BuddhaBot and ask Jesus and Zeus, if you like, and see how different the answers are because maybe they're just all the same because they're all presumably scouring the internet, pulling all this information in and natural language tools and then answering along those lines. Is it okay to be sceptical if you see videos of this thing walking on water? <laughs> a virtual water, <laughs> a of virtual course, you're talking water, about right. there. So, yeah, yeah, it's all CGI. Yeah. But it is interesting, isn't it? It's interesting what we come up with. There's a lot of people around the world and they've got different ideas on how to approach things. So someone obviously said... Why not? I don't yeah. know if the Pope has given it the official <laughs> stamp of approval yet. Uh, maybe not in favour with the Catholic Church just yet. No, not quite. But we we did that story a few months ago as well, where there was a sermon written by AI, yeah. and then that was used at a conference to, to display what you could do. So why not? AI is in so many parts of our lives. Why not That's in religion? Here. Yeah. Uh, if anyone could answer the question of the meaning of life rather than Douglas Adams, then that sounds like a pretty good thing. But again, I don't know that anyone's really nailed that one yet. We'll wait and see. And with that, folks, our story is all done for today. And the good news is that everybody lived happily ever after. So well done, everybody, I guess. Thanks for another cracking tech talk, Matt. I'm just not sure what to do from today. I want to go and play with some cameos, but I've, I've got no bad messages to give to my family. Maybe I'll just do a birthday <laughs> wish for someone. I just I love the idea of those cameos there. I think yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. So, so send some spoof um, cameo messages. Yeah, like, why not? Um, yeah, divorce messages. To, no, <laughs> that should be not. fun, maybe shouldn't not. it? No, yeah. Yeah. Hey, what that, could go wrong with that? that? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny for 0.3 of a second. Room temperature, superconductors, and cold fusion reactors. We are busting out the manacles that have bound us for the last 200 years, I tells you. And the way we access energy is going to change in a big way over the next 30 years. You mark my words. This world is far from a boring dot in the universe. Thanks a bunch for tuning in again, folks. Uh, Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson is 100% naturally grown from the finest seeds of science and technology. And it is a pleasure to bring you the fruits of the harvest week after week after week. I'm James Eddy, and I look forward to when we can cross paths next time, which, all things being equal, will be in no more than seven days' time. In the meantime, take care and catch you then.